Well, today we conclude our uh, look at a Roman's road, and this is the one that we are doing. And uh, you may have grown up with a different one. You may have had other verses. I know uh, even the last verse sometimes is I've seen it come out of different chapters in different areas. Uh, but this is the one that we are going to conclude with. And as I uh, have said in the past, I, you know, this can be a helpful tool when you're talking to somebody, when you're interacting with a person, you're trying to figure out where are they spiritually? You know, what are, the, what are they dealing with? Maybe they've come to face with the fact that they're a sinner. And then you, you say, okay, well, what do they need? You know, and these are just different steps to get us to Christ and to the end. And, and uh, verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 9 tells us what that end is. And so let's go ahead and, and let's recite this together a few times just to, to start it uh, getting into our brains and our minds. And we'll, we'll take a few of the words away each time and so that we can fill in those blanks and then hopefully help our memory as we do. Let's say this together, shall we? Romans 10.9 That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, let's take away some of those words. Let's, uh, let's fill in those blanks as we go along. Shall we say it again? Romans 10.9 That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Alright, one last time. All the big words are gone. Let's try this, shall we? Romans 10.9 That if you confess your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There you go. See, I can jump over some words there quite easily. But we are. We're looking today at what does it mean? How do you obtain that, that status of being saved? How are we saved? What does it take on our part, to be saved. And this is the, the culmination of, of the Romans road that began. And, and I, I had meant to recite each one every week, and I don't know if I've done that. But let's see how we are doing together, shall we? We begin in Romans 3.23, which says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? And so we begin straight off with, we are sinners. Right? And maybe people recognize that. Maybe they don't. Maybe we need to share with them the fact that, hey, you, you look pretty good in these areas, but this over here means that you're just like everybody else. You're a sinner. And you've got to do something about that sin. But the, the next verse we got to was Romans 5.8. While we were... Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get into it, so let's just say it together, shall we? Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in rebellion against Him, while we were distant from Him, He was showing His love for us by dying for us. And of course, the question then becomes, why did He have to die? And so we went from there to Romans six twenty-three that says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
right? So we get instead of the death, which is the wa- the wages, which is death, we get the gift for the wages in the place of the wages. And then last week we went to Romans eight one, and, and the the result the 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 conclusion of if you if you receive that gift, and Romans eight one tells us. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to draw a blank real quick. So I'm going to go ahead and flip just so I can get the very first word. Therefore, thank you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. And of course, then today, the question becomes, well, how can you be in Jesus? How do we get to that place that I can accept that eternal life, that gift from God? How can I be in Jesus and be secured? And the answer is very simple. To be saved only requires two things. To be saved requires us to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Do these things and you will be saved. I think sometimes we want to make salvation very uh, complicated. You know, we, we want to do something. One of the lessons from this week at Arts Camp was the story of Naaman the leper who uh, when he went to find healing from Elisha the prophet was told, go dip in the Jordan seven times. And he got angry about that. He said, you know, I, I thought for sure he would come out and greet me and wave his hands over me and maybe touch me, maybe tell me to do some great thing so that I could be saved. Maybe, maybe you know, and, and then he even starts talking about how ugly the Jordan River is and what a miserable little river it is and aren't there better rivers back in Damascus in his hometown? He's like, I've got better water. Why should I do this? And I think sometimes we want that. Even those of us who come to faith in Jesus, we, we want to earn it just a little bit. We want to prove to God our worth. Or we want to prove to Him our, our sincerity. That we want to we do something extra. You know, we want to sacrifice something for Him. We want to give up something. We want to do some special actions of, attrit- of contrition. But he says, you don't need to do any of that. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. All you have to do is say something and believe something. There's no action required. What he's saying is that obtaining salvation is not complicated. There isn't some great thing that you got to figure out. You know, you don't have to come to some uh, wonderful conclusions. You can be very ignorant of a lot of things. You can be ignorant of the, the virgin birth. You can be ignorant of what did Jesus do on the cross. You, you can be ignorant of most of His teachings. You don't need all of that. All we need to do is to confess and to believe. Now, when I, when I say it's not complicated, that doesn't mean it's not at times difficult for us. You know, because it's not just saying something. 
And it's not just feeling something. No, when, when he's talking about this, that we need to uh, confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, it, it's more than just saying, I believe. Or a, a, a perfunctory, Jesus is Lord. I think there are a lot of people who will say things like that about Jesus, but seem to miss it. I've shared in the past, and I think even last week I've shared, as a kid I kept asking Jesus into my heart. I wanted to be saved. I didn't want to die away from Him. And yet, I know that throughout my childhood and my adolescence, and even into young adulthood, I was not saved. But I was saying the right things, and I believed Jesus died on the cross, and I believed that God raised Him from the dead. So, what was I lacking? Much like the rich young man, you know what? I've kept all these. What am I lacking? Well, you might have kept some of them and you might feel like you've kept them. But Jesus got to the heart of the matter, didn't He? When He said one thing you lack. Sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor. And then come follow Me. And this was something too much for that rich young man. He couldn't do it. He walked away. He couldn't give up all of his possessions. He couldn't start walking and following Jesus. Jesus was a, a wandering, nomadic teacher. He had no home. He had no income. He lived off of what was provided for him. Sometimes he went hungry. Sometimes he made enough food for there to be lots and lots of leftovers. The young man couldn't take it. And that's what we're really talking about. When you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, it's not complicated, but it must be done sincerely. There's nothing great that you have to go do. There's there's no great task to accomplish. But on the other hand, it's not just saying it. It's not just going through the motions. We need to sincerely do it. We need to sincerely submit to God as we do it. When, when you confess Jesus as Lord, what you are saying is you're not. You are not Lord. He is. And when you believe that He raised Jesus, that God raised Jesus from the dead, what you're doing is you're, you're believing in something that is completely contrary to nature. People die. Animals die. Plants die. The Death and decay is a normal part of life. The clothes that you have on will someday wear out and you will get rid of it. Decay is the natural process of life. And yet, God says, I can make the dry bones live again. God says, I can raise him up from the dead. God says, I can give you life. And Believing in Him, believing in that means submitting to Him. In fact, this is the great struggle that so many people have. And, and this passage, this verse, is in uh, Paul is writing to the church in Romans. He's talking about Greeks and he's talking about Jewish people and he's struggling with the fact that though Jesus is a Jew and the, the fact that the apostles are all Jews, that the Jews are now rejecting the message. 
Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, the chosen one, the one that God has sent for them. And they're rejecting him. And at the same time, the Greeks, the Gentiles, the nations, the people who don't have Jewish blood in them, they are responding. And he's saying, what is going on here? What is happening that the Jews who had the law, who had God as their God, are rejecting him? And the Greeks who had all these idols and all these demon-backed gods, they're receiving Christ. And, and he begins this chapter in, in, in verse 1. He, he tells the church, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, meaning the Jewish people, is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And this is what the Jewish people are still doing today. They're, granted, you have some, mostly in the you know, entertainment world, you have what we call secular Jews. Being a Jew for them is more hereditary. It's, it's their ethnicity or their race more than it is their religion. But then you have very observant Jews and you have the Jewish state of Israel and you have Orthodox Jews. And they are very intent on their faith. And yet, even within 40 years of Jesus' death and resurrection, Paul is talking about them. And this is, I think, what the Jewish nation that Jesus was born into and grew up in and lived in and, and, and f- figuratively fought against when he talked against the, with the Pharisees and he taught the people, they don't know God's righteousness. If you go back in, in, in the Old Testament, you have David who says, you don't desire sacrifice. If you desired sacrifice, God, I would give you so many sacrifices but you don't desire sacrifice. You desire a contrite heart. How many times did Jesus tell the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, uh, you don't understand God's righteousness. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. They were focused on the sacrifice. They're focused on what can they do. The, the Jewish religion that after the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., How do you continue to worship God without the sacrifice? Without the temple sacrifice? And what the Jewish people have done is replaced the literal sacrificing of animals with a figurative, a spiritual sacrifice of their living. How they live. The deeds that they do. Their obedience is their sacrifice. But because they don't know the righteousness of God, they they fill up their knowledge, what knowledge they have, doesn't come from God, but from one another. They teach the sayings of the different leaders and different teachers more than anything. And when Jesus showed up, they wouldn't listen. They've gotten so used to hearing the words of man that they can't hear the Word of God when He's standing in front of them. It says they, they seek to establish their own righteousness 
they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. There, there, that, that is the, that's what complicates salvation. The, the difficulty, the, the reason why we need to sincerely submit to, to God is because we have to acknowledge that our way of doing things is wrong. Our understanding of things is wrong. That His understanding is right. That His statements are true. And that's the difficulty. That's how it gets complicated. We want to add to the work that He has done when we can't add anything to it. What we can do, though, is submit. To, to subject ourselves to Him. To, to place ourselves under Him. And instead of saying to Him, You're, you need to do this, you need to do that, God. You need to line up with my preconceived notions of who You are, God. This is what my history and my, my, the generations before me have told me should be the Messiah. And because your Messiah doesn't show up the way I've been told he's supposed to show up, I'm going to reject your Messiah, God. But what do we do instead? We submit ourselves to him. We subject ourselves to his righteousness. We acknowledge we're sinners. We acknowledge we can't do it on our own. We acknowledge his Messiah came in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We have to submit ourselves to God and to do it sincerely, not just giving it uh, lip service. And, and that's what is happening when we say uh, that Jesus is Lord. When we confess with our mouths, when we profess is what he's saying. There. When he says that we must confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord, uh, it's, it's, it's saying something different than I'm thinking. I'm holding this idea. No, I am proclaiming it. I mean, think of all the times that God did stuff through the spoken word. God spoke and it became. He said, let there be light. There was light. He said, He said, He said. And when He says things, those things happen. Throughout Scripture, prophecy is the things that God has spoken. He has told the person what to say. And they repeat it. It's God's Word. It comes true. His Word will not return to Him empty. But it's going to be fulfilled. When we speak, speaking is is an act of creation. When you speak, you create what will be. I'm going to go do this. Now, in our fallenness and in our um, foolishness, we often create things that are outside of our ability. That's why the author, you know, James said, you know, you really shouldn't say tomorrow we're going to go and we're going to do this and this and this because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So, so we need to be careful about foolishness. But when, when you speak something, that becomes the truth. That becomes real. And so when we confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, you're saying He is Lord. When you say that out loud, all other possibilities are put aside. Just like when a, a man and a woman come together to be married and you say, forsaking all others. Well, you've just declared before everybody, one person, 
That's it. Forsaking all other people. Not just romantically. But I'm going to live in such a way that I forsake all others in relation to how I live for this person. Holding only unto that person. Which means issues with the generation above me. Those issues, that generation above, I can't hold on to any of those people more than I hold on to that spouse of mine. Issues with the generation below me, none of them are as important as that person I've dedicated my life to. That's what we mean when we say those words. And when we say Jesus is Lord, that means there is no other Lord. And this was in in the time that Paul wrote, this was a, a subversive thing because there was the requirement for Roman citizens. They would take a pinch of incense and they would burn it and they would say, Caesar is Lord. It was their uh, worship of Him. It was their participation in His empire. It was their devotion to Him. For Paul to say, this is how you're saved. Jesus is Lord. It is not a passing simple thing. It means that my entire life is devoted to the fact that He is Lord. This isn't just a a statement you make. Every day, the words that come out of our mouths and how we live should be directed by the fact that Jesus is Lord. That, That how I treat people should be part of the confession of Jesus as Lord. He has told us how we should treat one another. He has told us how we should behave towards people who hurt us. If we obey His commandments, we confess Him to be Lord. If we don't obey His commandments, we prove that He is something other than that to us. This is where I think people get hung up and they think, Oh, I I confess Jesus is Lord, but they're not living it. You've said it, now do it. It's not enough just to say, I believe. As Paul says, the demons believe. And they shudder. It scares them. He is not just a good teacher. He is not just a moral person. He is not just somebody that I should try to emulate. No, He is Lord. And so when we say that we are going to confess Him as Lord, that means that we live by the Lordship of Jesus every day. That our our actions, you know, we we get into difficulties with people and and, uh, we, we have to deal with things. Well, part of your inner dialogue of how do I deal with this difficult person or how do I deal with this situation? Part of the internal dialogue, and I would say as we grow in faith, a larger and larger larger part of that internal dialogue is, what does Jesus say about this? What is Jesus' commandment to me about this? How would Jesus have me handle this? And then we do it that way. That is, that is how we confess Him as Lord with our mouths every day. that we live 
by the Lordship of Jesus. We don't just get to, you know, you don't just get to accept Jesus as your Savior, but then do your business the way you think it is best. Now, as soon as you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, now your business is impacted by what would Jesus have me do? What does Jesus say? How am I supposed to treat people? Once you accept Jesus, now how we do family is informed by Jesus. You can say, well, my old man did this. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what your old man or, or, or your mom did. Doesn't matter how they treated you, how they acted, how they raised you. The question for us is, what does Jesus call us to? He is Lord. When we live by the Lordship of Jesus, He has to direct every aspect of our life. And and when you accept Jesus as Lord, when you proclaim Him as Lord, that is what you're promising to do. You're saying, I'm going to do things Jesus' way. As much as it is dependent upon me, and obviously we all struggle, we all sin, we don't live up to this perfectly. But the fact is, is that we're constantly striving toward that goal. We are constantly trying to. The, the second part of the commandment is that we would believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. Now, uh, to believe, to have faith. But in your heart, we're, when, when the Bible talks about in your heart, you know, we've, we understand that. We talk about our heart and feeling something deeply in our heart. Uh, it, it means the essence of who you are. In the Bible, when it, when he's talking about in their heart, it, it's it's kind of the idea of of your soul, your your completeness, uh, your intention, the the center of your being. You know, when you do things with all your heart, we mean you're putting everything into it. You, you're you're devoting yourself a hundred percent for it. And so, when we talk about to believe in your heart. We, we don't mean in your head. We don't mean to have just a, a cursory knowledge of it or an idea of what's going on. But when you believe something in your heart, that means you direct your life by it. That, that this thing, this faith that you have informs every aspect of your life. And, and what is He calling us to believe with our, in our heart? That God raised Jesus from the dead. And remember earlier I said this is completely unnatural. The natural order of things is decay and death. But God says I'm going to redeem. God says I'm going to restore. God says I'm going to resurrect the dead. I can make the dead bones live again. I can make a people who are not a people into my people. And that, that is what He does and that's what He delights in doing and He does it even with His Son that His Son was dead. And I don't know about you, but I think sometimes I don't let Jesus be fully dead. In my mind, He's just mostly dead. You know, He was in the tomb. He was dead. He wasn't breathing. His heart hadn't, wasn't beating. But He was just mostly dead. No. He was completely dead. Uh, the word raised from the dead. The word there is necros. You know, the dead things. Have you ever just... How, somehow, we don't know how, but somehow, God, immortal, 
invisible, became flesh, and died. Immortal died. He died on the cross. He lay dead for three days. His body was completely dead. He wasn't just waiting around to rise up again. He was out of the picture. I have a hard time wrapping my brain around that. I don't know about you. But God's claim is that He raised Jesus from the dead. In fact, Paul points to this in Acts chapter 17 when he's talking to the the Athenians. He's telling them all about how God has appointed a person and a time for judgment and He has given proof by raising Him from the dead. And that's when the Athenians said, whoa, wait a minute, we've heard enough. Turn it off. This is crazy. Once He got to the resurrection of the dead, they couldn't accept it. They couldn't believe it. But Paul was saying, this is the proof of God's love and God's justice. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, if there is no resurrection, our faith is in vain. Our hope in life is in vain that we are still in our sins. In fact, if Jesus isn't raised from the dead, we prove God to be... We're claiming that God's a liar because we're claiming something that He didn't do. But God's saying, and what we are professing is that Jesus died and was raised from the dead. That God did this. And this is another thing I struggle with right here. Paul is saying God raised Him from the dead. But we also know that Jesus said several times, I lay my life down, I pick it up again. Well, let's leave that in the mystery. Let God tell us later on. The, the point is not figuring out how it happened. The point is, do we truly believe? Do we sincerely believe? Not just in our minds, but in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead. Because if, if we believe that, it should affect how we live. If we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, it should change our outlook on the world. And just as the confession of Jesus as Lord means that how we live our life by the Lordship of Him, that we confess His sovereignty over us in every way and every time. To believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Well, that's the hope that we have in the future, isn't it? That we will be raised from the dead. That those that we love that have believed in Jesus will be raised. But it's, it's more than just a future hope. It's a present reality. That though we were dead, yet we live now because of Jesus if we believe in Him. If He isn't risen from the dead, we have not been forgiven. We are still in our sin. But if He has been raised, then we can have that forgiveness. And one what happens if you have a faith, a belief so central, so developed in your heart that you order your life by it? And, and that's what Paul is telling us, that, that if you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, that we will order your life by God's resurrection of Jesus. 
just as we order our life, as we live by the Lordship of, of Jesus. Do you live every day in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do we live not in our hope that, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll work hard and I'll, I'll get this job done, or I'll be smart and I'll outfox this person who's trying to cheat me. But do you live in the reality that we are all dead in our sins, but God raised His Son? He who had no sin took sin upon Himself, died, was fully dead for three days, and God raised Him up again. Jesus' obedience was going to the cross. His victory was rising again. And if He didn't rise again, we'd still be in our sin. But if He rose again, then He has done something that is completely contrary to nature. If He rose again, then He has done something completely outside of our ability. We have the ability to destroy. We have the ability to kill. We have the ability to tear one another apart. Only God heals in such a way. Only God resurrects the dead and gives them life. And when we live for Christ, we are going to start doing His work. We're going to build one another up. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to share Christ with one another. We're going to share healing and forgiveness and be a part of His work of reconciling the world to Him. You order your life based on the resurrection. We live with that as our reality. When you believe in it. You see, this is more than just a cursory uh, thought. This is, and this is kind of where the idea of childlike faith comes in. You know, when you're dealing with children, they don't need much. And they'll believe it. And I don't say that lightly and I don't say that to belittle them. Uh, one of the classes I taught in arts camp this week was clowning. And clowning is difficult stuff. And it really bugs me when people equate the, the jokers in Washington with clowns because that's, that's rude and mean to clowns. It, it's insulting to clowns. Clowns have to be intelligent. They have to be smart. They have to play. They have to invite one another and everybody around them to play. It's a lot easier to be a clown if you're a kid or to work with a clown if you're a kid because it's so easy. I was trying to just w doing some exercises with one of the girls and, and we were playing a game, you know, and it, it, it just kept growing and developing. She had a couple of balloon animals and so those balloon animals became animals and my juggling rings became a trap and it, the game just kept developing and developing and developing. And, and she had no trouble seeing everything that we were imagining. She believed it with her whole heart. Whereas I'm, you know, getting fossilized, and so it's harder to, harder to play in those ways. That's why Jesus calls us to have a childlike faith, to believe. And when you, when you have that kind of belief where you, you accept it, you live based on it. You know, I had to fake it with that little girl. She wasn't faking anything. She just was believing and that's what Paul's telling us. that It's not a complicated thing to be saved, but it needs to be sincere. And it's not just proclaiming something. It's living it. It's believing it with your entire being. 
You don't have to do any action, but you have to be all in with what He has called us to. And if you notice, those last two lines, the things that we underlined were life. Live and life. And that's because that's, this is how we live our lives. We, we, to be saved is to have life. And to live, we live by Christ. By confessing Him. By believing in what God has done. The greatest work that God did. You know, if you believe in the virgin birth and, and in uh, the manger in Christmas, that's great, but it's not going to save you. And if Jesus did all of His great teaching and fed the 5,000 but never went to the cross, it would have all been for nothing. And if Jesus went to the cross and died for your sins but was still in that grave, it would be for nothing. But Jesus rose again. God raised Him up from the dead and He is alive. And because He is alive, you can be alive too if you believe in it. If you believe in Him. And it's open for anybody. Right after this verse, in verse 10, we see for the, uh, you know, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. Not a righteousness of their own, but like Abraham who believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You believe in your heart, it's credited to you as righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation. That that thing you feel in your heart, remember Jesus said it's not what goes into the body that defiles it, but what comes out of it, because what comes out is what is the storehouse of your heart. And so if in your heart is your faith in Jesus Christ, that's what's going to come out. So if you believe in your heart, that is where you, you believe in your righteous, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth you confess, resulting in salvation. He says in verse 11, For the Scripture says, Whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. You're not going to be like, Oh man, is this all I got? You're not going to be disappointed if you believe in Him. We, we can struggle sometimes. We can, we can waver in our faith. We can wonder, is this true? Is this real? When the whole world seems to be operating without God in it. But if you believe in Him, you will not be disappointed. Verse 12 tells us, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. You don't have to be Jewish to be saved. You don't have to be a Gentile to be saved. All can be saved. And then he concludes in verse 13. excuse me, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, when I've shared, and I, I mentioned it earlier, when I was a kid, I kept calling on the Lord. I kept wanting to be saved, and I wasn't. Maybe you've gone through some times where you, you've wanted to ask the Lord to, to save you. Maybe you've even prayed prayers, but it hasn't resulted in true faith. You, you haven't experienced the Holy Spirit in your life. You, you haven't felt saved, and you're wondering, what am I still lacking? Maybe it's with your whole heart. Maybe it's in sincerity of, of Jesus is my Lord and I'm going to do what He tells me to do. But whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, I, I, I think as long as you're calling out to Him, as long as you're seeking Him, and, and He's the one that calls us first, He's the one that's seeking us as lost sheep, 
But as long as you're trying to figure out, how do I do it right, Lord? How do I, how do I give my life fully over? Maybe you haven't gotten to the point where you're willing to give Him up all of you. But you keep calling Him. We firmly believe you will be saved. That He will work the work in you. If you just keep calling out to Him. Keep struggling and striving to know Him better and to give up. Maybe there are portions of our lives that we're just holding on so tightly and we need to give them to Him. Because it really isn't complicated. There is no great trick or hoops we have to jump through. What it really comes down to is giving Him everything. Acknowledging that He is the giver of all things. That He is the one who can give life where there is only death. And believe firmly and totally in Him. Not a halfway measure. Not, I'm going to give you a little bit of acknowledgement, God, but the rest of my life is mine. But fully His. You will be saved. Let's Say this verse one last time, shall we? Romans 10.9 That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we proclaim and confess. We, we acknowledge and agree. We, we publicly declare Jesus is Lord. Not only is He Lord, but we declare Him as Lord, as our Lord. We confess Him to be our Lord, that we serve Him, that we follow Him, that we do not live on our own accord, but by the very Word of God. Father, we believe that You have raised Jesus from the dead. We live our life based on it. We hope and the same resurrection for ourselves. Father, we pray for anyone here who can't agree with those statements. Who doesn't acknowledge Your Lordship in all areas of their life. Who, who maybe doesn't have hope in the resurrection. They don't believe that You have truly done this great thing. That You can bring life where there is only death. Father, we pray that You would open up their heart. That they would cry out to You. That they would continue to call out to You. Until they are to that place where they place their faith in You. Fully. To make Jesus Lord of their life completely. Not just a portion, but all. We pray, Lord, that we would be all in in how we live based on Jesus Christ and His resurrection. Lord, we pray that, that for those that aren't there yet, that they would feel the call and that they would desire to live completely for Jesus. We pray for our family, Lord, who aren't here. The ones we know that are trying to do righteousness on their own. We pray, Father, that they would get to the place where they would recognize there is only death in their own righteousness. That they won't be able to do it. 
they've rejected You. And we pray, Lord, that they would come to that place where they would choose Jesus to follow Him. That they would believe in the resurrection. That they would proclaim Jesus as Lord. And that they would cry out to You that they might be saved. We lift up our family members, our friends, our neighbors that we are thinking of right now. We pray this for them, Lord, that are lost. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.